I'm going to introduce John Robert. If John, you guys give a warm welcome to John Rob. He's been here many, many times. Part of this church uh, when we were Capital Christian. Love you, brother, and ministry. And uh, I'm going to turn this mic over to you. Thank you. Yeah, boy, I used to be part of Capital Christian. How many of you are part of Capital Christian? I'm just curious. All right. Yeah. And uh, I really bonded with the folks in Santa Fe. Uh, my wife and I and my son were living here for three years, and we began praying with Ron and some other ministry leaders at Capital Christian. And I still can't get you out of my heart. So I decided I was going to bring uh, Pastor Pancho Murguia to Santa Fe. He has really blessed Albuquerque. And we had 143 ministry leaders and public officials on Friday morning who got electrified by the testimony of what God is doing in Juarez. So I thought I'd bring him up here, and then we had the March for Jesus, and Pancho also spoke uh, to them yesterday. And uh, let me just say a little bit about Pancho. I don't want to take much of his time, but he is the former senior pastor of Cruz de Gracia Church in Juarez, Mexico. He's become a pastor of pastors in that city and increasingly in other parts of the world. God used him and his fellow pastors and other followers of Jesus in a movement of transformational prayer and action to turn Juarez from the murder capital of the world, where they had, I think it was 20 times the violence of any, any other place on earth, to turn it from the murder capital of the world to one of Mexico's safest cities. Gloria a Dios. Can you say that? And uh, on the website, um, it says... In Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, a city notorious for violent crime and drug cartels, Pastor Pancho Murguia and the alliance of pastors and churches he now leads are a vivid example of what happens when Christians take the kingdom of God to where the gates of hell are. And that's what you're going to be hearing about. He, he told us yesterday morning, a group of men, the story of how they took back the prison and he was the leader of that with the federal police and the soldiers, and they took back the prison from the drug cartels. And it's, it was spellbinding. So the infamous El Cerezo prison and the prison system, he's been a key figure in envisioning and building the new multi-million dollar children's museum to bring hope and a vision of excellence to Juarez youth. His faith and ever-increasing hope for his now-transformed city have made him one of Ciudad Juarez and Mexico's most respected civic leaders. We are honored and privileged to have Pastor Pancho with us this weekend. May we see the Lord do the same things here in New Mexico as we pray together for our state. Amen? We could see the same thing happen in Santa Fe, in Albuquerque, in Nuevo Mexico, right? Uh, we were going to have a little video. I don't know if they ever got it straightened out or not. No? Okay. Well, I'll just turn it over to Pastor Pancho. Will you welcome Pastor Pancho Murguia? <laughs> I'm going to use this. So. <laughs> Buenos dias. <laughs> well, uh, what you're going to hear is going to be two sides of the story. One side is going to be God's story, and the other one is sadly my or our story. Uh, let me just kind of uh, said this at the beginning. 
I don't think you're going to hear anything new. Maybe the testimony is going to be new, but not the principles, not what the Bible has already taught us 2,000 years ago. But what is different is how God, when he wants to, he always wants to, he wants to use us and how we need to be part of his story. Because God has a story. Actually, we believe and think that we are creating our own story. Even not only our own story, but our city story and our nation story. And we talk about the story of this nation and the story about that nation. But you know what? There's only one story. And, and it's his story. And he started way before he created heaven and earth. And he's going to continue his story all the way forever, for eternity. When we come to the Lord, when we have the privilege by his grace, because of his merits dying on that cross, he invite us to be part of his story. But we, one way or the other, we're, uh, we're like, <laughs> like always tending to work and create our story. So I'm going to talk about his story and now and about my story and how I'm still in the process of getting there. Because our flesh, my flesh, my sin, my pride, uh, it's always getting in the way. So I was doing my own business, uh, being a pastor. By God's grace, I came to know the Lord when I was 18 years old. And a, a friend of mine, a neighbor, just preached the gospel to me. It was the first time I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. In less than two hours, I was on my knees giving up my life. And I started falling in love with Jesus. And uh, that happened about 43 years ago. And I'm still in love with him, and I love him every day more. And I cannot wait to be with him face to face to keep on loving him for eternity, for the rest of, the, of his story. <laughs> so, if you want to start, uh, I was living the pastor dream. I started uh, preaching the gospel to some of my friends, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. And, uh, and we became uh, a small group. I invited that group to my house. In this time in Mexico, 99% uh, of, the, of the population was Catholic. I was Catholic. And then I came to the Lord and uh, started asking lots of questions. And so I invited um, people into my dad's home. And we started going from 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 until one day my dad says, you know what, there, there's too many noise. <laughs> I cannot eat my menudo <laughs> peacefully. <laughs> so why don't you look for another place to meet with your, with your friends? So we decided to, uh, to go to another friend's house that he, this, this young lady talked to her mom, and her mom said, yeah, come on over. But when we came to this place, there was uh, right in front of a park. And we said, oh, this is a nice day in the park. Let's, let's meet in the park. So we sat around a tree, got the guitar, started praising God. I would share the, uh, something from the Bible, which uh, I, I didn't know what I was doing or what I was sharing because I just read the Bible and just talked about it. And, uh, and we grew, and 29 years later, we ended up to be one of the largest churches in the city. And, and, uh, and as I said, I was, I was living my own, my own dream. I was working for my own story. If you want to go ahead. <laughs> so uh, we ended up uh, having a building that it cost us $2.5 million. We paid for it cash. And we had a, a grammar school and a high school. We had a pastor's college. We were planting churches in Mexico and the United States. And, uh, and everything was going very well. We had a good reputation in the city. And, but the only thing that is wrong with that, with all that, it, it's that it was my story. 
And it's sad to say, but one day uh, I was going to paint my, the bedroom of my daughters, which I promised my wife six months before. <laughs> Does it sound familiar, guys? <laughs> so finally I said, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I get the paint, and I started doing this, and, and I got the, the, the wall ready and everything to be painted. And I'm doing this. All of a sudden I just hear God's voice. And he says, Poncho. And he says, yeah, but what can I do? How can I serve you? And he says, I want you to leave everything. And I said, oh, you don't want me to paint my children? <laughs> no, I knew what he was saying. He, he wanted me to leave everything. Leave, leave the congregation, leave the work, leave everything that I was doing. And uh, I left the paint right there, went to my prayer room, and I got there, and I started discussing, having this discussion with God, telling him, you cannot ask me that. You chose me when I was 18. You, 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 you used me all these years. I'm the founding, the, the founding pastor. I'm the senior pastor. Um, you cannot do this. I, I, I've been devoting 29 years of my life to these people. I love these people. You're asking me to tear up my heart and, 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 or, or, or disembrace something from my body. You cannot do this. And then after crying out loud to the Lord and giving all this uh, stupid... <laughs> Uh, reasoning and all that. Finally, he says, Poncho, wait, 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 can I ask you one thing? And I said, yes, Lord, go ahead, ask me. And he says, whose church is it? In that moment, I just bent, came to my knees, and I cried, and I said, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It is your church. It is your story. You said, I am going to build my church, and I'm trying to build mine. And let me tell you one thing. I was being as honest as I could, building church. So that was sad. Uh, but God decided to intervene. And I don't consider myself to be a powerful man in those days. I was serving and I was giving up my life. But at the end, God had a marvelous way to show me that his story was here and my story was here. So I said, okay, Lord, uh, what do you want me to do? He said, I won't tell you. I'll let you know later. I just want to leave everything. So I say, okay, look, can I ask one thing? He says, the Lord said, yes. Can you talk to my wife? Because how do, you, how do you go to your wife and say, you know, 29 years, our lives have been invested here, and uh, we live in everything, and uh, that's hard. Because one thing is when God speaks to you, maybe as a pastor, and one thing when the pastor comes here and says, the Lord spoke to me to say this. And then all of you, or our wives, or our children, or whoever, needs to believe that God spoke to us. It's a different story there. So I went to my wife, and uh, my wife would walk around and see the paint there. <laughs> Nothing was happening, but uh, she respects me. So after three hours, I go to her and say, I need to talk to you. I need to share something. And uh, I went to the restroom, to the bedroom, put it right there in the bed, put some pillows around it and around her, and I said, uh, I tried to tell her this way, this way, this way, where I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't know how finally I was courageous enough to say, you know what, I just had a good time with the Lord, and he just asking us to leave everything. And I remember looking at her face, and her left eye started getting a little water, and then a drop comes down. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be bad, this is going to be bad. I don't know if he's going to believe me that God spoke to me. I, I was having lots of doubts. But when he opened her beautiful mouth, he just said, Poncho, the Lord told me this three years ago. He told me that he was going to ask you this. And he asked me to pray for you, not to tell you anything. So by the time he would call you, you would say, yes, Lord. 
And then he has my, she said, my husband, wherever the Lord leads you, I'll go with you. I'm glad I put the pill because I was the one who thought <laughs> You know what? That, that, in that precise moment, my uh, respect for you ladies, whether your wives are suitable helpers or not, it just grew immensely. Because I, I, I later talked to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't deserve the wife that you have given me. And then I kind of talked to the Lord and said, come on, Lord, three years? <laughs> not three hours, not three weeks, three years <laughs> for, him, for she to be praying for me so I would be ready? And she said, yeah, that's how hard stubborn you are. <laughs> so... <laughs> So the next thing that the Lord told me was, um, was uh, just go to, uh, I want you to do a 21-day fast. Go ahead. And I want you to do one thing. I want you to take a 20-day fast, just water, and pray for the city. I have never done that. I always prayed and fasted for my ministry, for my, what I used to call my church. This time the Lord said, no, no, pray for the city. And I didn't know how to pray for the city. The, the second thing the Lord told me was do it in a public park. I never have done anything like that. But God was working in my heart, so, so I went to the Pastors Alliance, the good friends of mine, and I said, you know what, this is what God is asking me to do. I won't do it if you guys don't back me up. They said, we'll give you our hand. They gave me their hand, the prayers. I got a tent. I put it in the park and then just got in there. I planned to pray for 14 to 15 hours every single day for 21 days. For the city. Now, the saddest part, that's part of my story, that I'm shameful of it, uh, when I started the first minutes, I said, okay, I'm going to pray for my city, and I didn't know how to pray for the city. Actually, to my understanding, I wasn't even know what a city was. And I have a college degree. I, I, have, I was a businessman before. I worked uh, as in the board of directors of two banks and, and all that. I know what a city is, but spiritually speaking, I didn't have a clue, so I had to go back to the Word of God and start reading everything about cities. And I, I discovered amazing, amazing things about cities, how God thinks of his kingdom coming to the earth in cities, in nations. You know, he, when he feels called to Abraham, he, asks, he calls him and he says, I'm going to take you to a city, which the builder is God. You know what, that when Jesus comes back, we're going to be living in a city, in the New Jerusalem. Jesus, 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 the Lord Jesus Christ twi uh, cried twice, one for a friend and one for a city. Jesus spoke to cities. God spoke to cities in the Old Testament, the New Testament. So I didn't know how to do it, so I started. And, and uh, about a, two, three days later, a, a reporter came to the, to the tent. And uh, he was all excited because something ha was happening in the city. And uh, he came to me and said, so, so let me get this clear. You're not going to eat anything for 21 days except water. I said, yeah, that's right. So who are you angry against? Who are you protesting? What are your demands? And I said, no, no, no. I'm not angry at anybody. I'm learning to love my city. And I'm praying for God to bless the city. And the guy goes like, you know, take two steps back and say, well, that's not news. <laughs> that's not nothing exciting about that. So he goes back to his boss, and his boss says, you know, there's a crazy guy there that is not eating for 21 days, and he just wants something happen good for the city. And, uh, and his boss says, well, that's weird. Uh, he's not mad. He's not, <laughs> he's not demanding something against somebody. He says, no, 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 just like that. Then he said, well, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go back every single day. You're going to ask this guy, what is God telling to the city? And we're going to put it in the newspaper. 
So he came every day and said, Pastor, what is God saying to the city? And I said, whatever I was understanding that God was saying to the city, and it was in the newspaper the next day. People started noticing, people started coming. All kinds of people. So within a few days, I was understanding the city through its people and its needs. People came from business, businessmen, people from the government, in fact, from the capital, the capital of the state of Chihuahua, the city of Chihuahua. It's about three and a half hour driving time. People would, from the government drove just to ask for prayer. And prostitutes came and drug addicts and, and uh, lawyers and some liars, and sometimes they couldn't differentiate one from the other. <laughs> now, they are good lawyers. <laughs> we need good lawyers, and they are good. <laughs> so uh, by the end of the 21 days, there were 4,000 people praying for the city without inviting anybody to do that. So after that, the, 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 the mayor calls me, and he invites me to his office. And he, when, when I'm there, go ahead. And, and when I'm there, um, the mayor asks me, can you help me clean the prison? Now, let me tell you, I, I'm not going to get much into that, but just to give you a, an idea, the prison of Juarez, which is called El Cerezo, um, is one of the, we have 400 federal prisons in Mexico, and the prison in Juarez was the 398th. It was right at the bottom, one of the worst prisons in Juarez. And just to give you an idea, go ahead. And just to give you an idea, uh, well, I'm going to skip that. <laughs> okay. So that, that's the Cerezo prison, and uh, it's kind of in a hard place. And, and this prison was run by the, by the cartel in Juarez. The, the, some of the statistics that you, you can uh, see right now is that, that <laughs> well, 60% of the, of, the, of the guys were selling drugs, 80% uh, of the crime was planned in that prison. People would come from outside of the prison to, to plan the crimes and then go back and then bring the money and, 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 and sending the money to everybody. Uh, they, we had about 1,000 inmates that had the keys of their own of their own cells. Uh, there were restaurants, there were stores. Uh, any, any given day, there would be more than a thousand people just coming to visit whoever they wanted to. And there were mariachis and there were parties and there were, you know, I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a prison at all. But it was under the control of these people. So, so we prayed and uh, after three months, I came with the chief of police, the general of the army, the chief of the federal police with 450 uh, policemen and, and soldiers and all that, we surrounded the prison, and within eight hours at midnight, we took over the prison from the, from the cartel. The prison just changed so much that within a few days, we have more than 2,100 people going on uh, withdrawal symptoms because of the addiction. 93% of the people in the, in the prison were, were using drugs. So there was a big change. The, the whole thing changed, and, and within a, a few months, uh, people from the United Nations came and did a study, and they actually, when, when we were talking to them, they actually said that they wanted to study the case of this prison, and the question they asked was, can a prison be changed in one day? But the Bible says, can a city <laughs> be changed in one day? You know, in God's story, it can happen. In our story, it can never happen. Whether we try it and we force ourselves to do it, we need to go back and be part of history. And the only way we can go back is through prayer and through obedience of the things that we pray for or the, or the one who we pray to. So after that, uh, the Lord gave us a word. And the word that, that the Lord gave us was uh, basically, uh, well, now, now that prison is the fifth most, uh, well, uh, 
prison in Mexico. They were way to the top. El Chapo Guzman is in that prison in Juarez. Why? Because the federal, the federal government said that's the, one of the best prisons in Mexico. That's why he, he's, he's right there right now. So the Lord gave us a word, and the, and the Lord that the, the Lord gave us to us, as it happened to the prison, is going to happen to the city. And, 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 you know, we were rejoicing and we were, we were encouraged because God wants to do what he did to the prison, he's going to do to the city. Now, the city of Juarez at that time was one of the most wealthiest cities in the nation, the number fourth most important city of, of Mexico. Our, our internal product was bigger than four nations of Central America together, just one city. More than $1 million of worth is done with the United States every minute. So there was enough money, there was enough work. Actually, the, the, the unemployment rate at that time it was zero. Sometimes I talk to economists and they say, no, that cannot happen. Oh, yeah. People had to, if you come to work in those days and you get to the factory and your boss didn't say hi and you didn't like it, you would get out of this factory, go to the one in front, and they would have you like that. People had to flew from all other cities to find jobs. We had people living from every state of, the, of, of Mexico. Just from Veracruz, we had 80,000 people coming to work uh, because there was so much that. But that created the, 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 the whole thing, the whole basis for another cartel to come to Juarez and work together to get more drugs over the United States. So when the, when the Lord told us that the prison, the, the, the city was going to what happened in the prison was going to happen in the city. We rejoiced, but we didn't understand that as the prison was the worst prison of Mexico, now it's one of the best. We didn't understand that, but Juarez had to become first the worst city of the world in order to become one of the leading cities of the world. So God, God's story sometimes is difficult for us to understand. But we learn a principle that we all know, and, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, Something started happening, and the violence came into the city, and it was, uh, it was literally hell. When the whole war with the cartel started, then the federal government got involved, and they sent 12,000 troops they couldn't handle it. They, they sent four to 6,000 federal police they couldn't handle it. And the situation was that bad that, that 300,000 people left the city. Now, what is was a, a, a city of a million and a half? 300,000 people just left the city. We had more than 102,000 empty homes, just like that in a few months. The economy went down, 80% of, uh, 30% of the businesses closed down, literally. I was talking to the, to the president of the Chamber of Commerce of uh, Construction, and he said 90% of the construction closed their doors. There was no more building in Juarez. 30% of the businesses were paying protection in order to work in order to open their own business. They would, they would call any business that they wanted to, and they would, they would give you three warnings. The first call would be, you need to pay us, and they would select the amount according to the size of the business, $1,000 a week, $2,000, $3,000, And if you say no, next day or within two, three days, they would come and put hundreds of bullets in front of your business. That's not good for business. They would call you again. Are you going to do it? I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to. I'm not, not going to give you guys money. Okay, the next day or the next week, few days, they, they will come and burn part of your business. They burned more than 84 businesses like that. Third and last call. Are you going to pay? 
You say no, you would die, a member of your family, or one of your employees. That's it. No questions asked. So 30% of the businesses is paid, another 30% closed the doors, and everybody was praying for not to receive the call. I remember a friend of mine that received the call, and he called me and said, Poncho, what do I do? I received the call. And I said, you know what? You have to think it this way. These people are business people. Crooked, but they're business people. So what, get into a, into a mode of lowering the, the amount. If you can get to a amount that you can live with, do it. If not, close the doors and leave. Because we cannot trust the police. The police, 60% of the police was working for the cartels. 60%. The mayor of Juarez at that time, he bought a house in El Paso. He would have two suburbans blinded, you know, uh, blinded against bombs and all that. And he would have about 10 bodyguards. And he would get out of his office at 5 o'clock in the, in, in the afternoon. He would drive to the border. He would step down, cross to the United States, sleep, come back at 9 o'clock in the morning, same thing, be in his office. He wouldn't go out. He wouldn't do anything. And he would go back. That was the authority that we had. Now, if you think about it, and you live in a situation like that, the army couldn't do it, the federal police couldn't do it, the local police couldn't do it, the government doesn't know what to do. And then the big question comes. And, and, and that's where, 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 where you have to consider what we have in our Bibles, right? You know, we were, we were the, the homicide rate, uh, they measured, the United Nations measured the number of uh, assassinations per 100,000 individuals. And in those days, in 2010, which was the peak, we had 11 times above the national average and 25 times like, above the international average. Something unheard of. And it was in Juarez, in my city. The, I wanna, uh, just, just please look at the faces and the, and the pain and the desperation because when you hear about violence in our cities, it is amazing how we, the church of Jesus Christ, don't feel sometimes anything. We say, we believe, oh, they killed somebody. Oh, an overdose. Oh, they raped somebody. And that's what we were doing. Pastors, congregations, the church in the city, not much, pretty much conscious of what was happening. So that's why you start asking the questions. Can we do something about it? Where are those, those Bible verses and those promises? Where is God in a situation like this? And we were not doubting the existence of God, but we were asking the hard questions. What can we do if the police couldn't, couldn't handle it, the army couldn't handle it, nobody couldn't handle it? What can we do? And we had very, very um, difficult times trying to understand and trying to see what's going on. You know, I, I, I remember reading again the Old Testament and reading how the people of Israel, of the, the, the Jews, the people of Israel would be uh, abused by their enemies and they would come and rape the children, the, their, the women, and they would take their food and they would do all these kinds of things. And they would cry out to the Lord. All those verses started becoming alive because that was something similar to what we were living. And the Bible started coming alive in a lot of sense. 
that we never even thought about. We just read it, oh, that's history. Yeah, but it happened. And people suffered and people died and there was blood in the streets. And now it's happening in 2012 in my city. So you ask the hard questions. Do we really believe what the Bible says? Does God have that power and authority to change a city that nobody knows what to do? And it took us to our knees. It took us to our knees. It took us to our knees. And in the process, God started telling us a lot of things that we needed to repent. We repented. I repented of so many things. I'm still out. Because, because let me tell you how, how we developed the whole thing, at least how we experienced it. Go ahead. You know, how did it all begin? It all began just with, with, uh, with one murder, and then another one, and then another one. And then all of a sudden, we didn't care. Yes, we prayed. But I say that we didn't care because we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. I remember when the first murder happened in a friend of a, 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 a very well-famous restaurant in Juarez. A friend of mine uh, owns that, used to own it, it's closed right now. And, and uh, two, four people were having dinner, you know, nothing, nothing uh, strange about that. But then two cars stopped by in front of the, in the restaurant. Four people came in with machine guns and they just basically put uh, dozens of bullets into their bodies and they left. The next five minutes, the, 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 the news was all over the place. Everybody was talking about it. It was the first time that something like that happened in, in my city. And when that happened and, and everybody uh, was listening, it was in the news, the, the, the general comment, what we were talking was, oh, that's too bad. That shouldn't happen. And then we started theologizing about the whole thing. Yeah, that's the results of sin and this and that. And that's why people, when they don't know the Lord, and that's what drugs does, and that's what drug trafficking creates. And all this social reasoning of the whole thing. But you know what happened? We just believed that that was one situation that happened. It was going to go. The next day it's going to be normal. And then the next day, right in front of that restaurant, another couple was coming out. Another car stopped by and came down and shoot him and killed him. Same deal, same, same, same process. What, that, that's, that's very wrong, that's bad, you know, that's sad. This is the, the, what happens when people don't know the Lord and all with this judgmental reasoning and all that. But at the end, we didn't do anything. And it was a sad part of our history that God had to do a lot of things in order for us, the Church of Jesus Christ in the city, to respond do something, to start believing God for what he is and what he says in his Bible, in the word of God. We, 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 we didn't learn a lot of lessons because we were more spiritual or more mature. It was because we had to. And when we go and speak all around the world and we say, you know what? You don't have to wait. Please don't wait until you have all these things happening. Because we never thought it was going to happen. I just heard about something horrible that just happened in your state about a young 10-year-old that was murdered. If the Pharisees would be living here, they would at least have gone outside in the street and rip up their clothes. At least they would have done. But what us, the Church of Jesus Christ, what are we doing about it? 
we're saying, oh, that's too bad. Oh, that's sad. Oh, this. Oh, the drugs. Oh, the this. Oh, the that. And maybe we start pinpointing people, right? Always the police. Always the mayor. Always the, the governor. Always whoever it is. But we don't stop and think, wait, wait, wait. Who did Jesus gave the keys of the gates of hell? To the government? To the mayor? To the police? No, he gave it to us. The church. Who did Jesus say, I'm going to be with you the rest of your, your life? That's why he, I have all authority, and that's why I'm sending you to disciple cities, nations. What was the orders of the Lord Jesus before he went up to heaven? He said, don't leave Jerusalem, a city. Don't leave the city. That's important because you're going to receive power. And then he said, because you're going to be my witnesses, where? To your neighborhood? No. To your neighbor? No. You're going to be witnesses to a city, Jerusalem. You see, we don't think that way. We think according to our history or our story, because in our story we can reach out for our neighbor, and we should, and we have done it, and we're not going to keep on doing it. But the city, the state, the economics, the economics of the state, I cannot do that. I can go and reach out my neighbor, and we should, and we need to, and we continue to do that. But the Lord said, no, 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 go and disciple nations. And start with a city, start with Jerusalem, and then a region, and then a state, and then go to the ends of the world. And if you follow the book of Acts, you find out that the, the disciples of those days went out and give testimony. They were testimonies of, God, of Jesus up until the point that the authority said, you have filled the whole city with your message. And then if you follow the book of Acts, they did the same thing with Judea, Samaria. And then he came the Apostle Paul, and he said, Apostle Paul, the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone all over the place, all over the, all over the place, out, all, all the way to the Lyricum. He said, where do I need to go? And he was thinking of a nation, Spain. You see, we don't think like that. We don't think like that. We think our story right here. And, and, and the sad part that we have to learn is that we accommodated ourselves to our story because we define our own story according to our limitations, according to our comfortableness, and we need to get up there. And the only way to get up there is through prayer, prayer, prayer. What's your story for my city? What's your story for my state? What's your story for my, the place where I work for? What is your story for my business, what's your story for the school I attend to? What's the story for the place I work? What's your story, Lord, not mine? We have to learn that the hard way. So what we decided to do, uh, uh, well, just, we started to sing verses in a very different way because we know that where sin abounded, grace, grace overabounds, right? And we started saying, well, Lord Jesus, sin is all over the city. So now we can wait for grace to overabound. That first part is checked. <laughs> now is the next one. But the next one only can come down through prayer by God's power. So the, what we decided to do as a, as a congregation, uh, uh, we, we started uh, applying some principles. And I went to the high place. Uh, there was 40 people praying uh, in San Jose, California. And uh, we were praying for Juarez because it was, it was awful. By this time, 
my, my life has been threatened because of, this, of the prison and also because of our involvement within the city. And my, my life has been threatened. Um, um, I've been working with drug addicts and traffickers and, and cartel people and people in the streets and prostitutes for more than 30 years. We have re rehabilitated more than 10,000. So I know these people. I know who they are. Uh, they know who I am. And uh, because what we did, uh, I, was I was put in the list. And they were offering money in order to kill me. And, the, and some of the people we were ministering, they would come to me and say, Pastor, leave town, leave town. They already put a price on your head. Leave town. They're going to kill you. One of them came to me and said, I can kill you right now, and I can collect the money. But I'm not going to do it. I know who you are. And this is not a Christian. This is a guy that we were ministering to in the streets. So I would go to my wife, and we would pray, and we, we wouldn't have a, a clear word from God to leave or to stay. So we said, we want to wait until God tells us to do it. And what we did is uh, I changed cars. We loaned cars from other brothers, and we, I would go this way, and I would go this way. I would change the hours. And every day I would come out of my house. I would pray with my wife, and I would kiss her. And I would say, well, if I come back, it's because God is going to give me one more day to enjoy him, you, our children. But if I don't come... Remember, they're going to call you. You have to go to the mortgage. You're going to have to recognize the body, and then you're going to go to the funeral, and we plan the whole thing. If it happens, it never happened up until this day. But something, and, and, it's, yes, and it's, it's his story. We don't have to do anything with that. We kept on praying, and, and one day the Lord said, you know what, I'm going to answer your, your prayer. Should I leave town? Should I stay? Because you have this, this dual uh, sentiment, right? If I leave and God doesn't want me to leave, I don't want to do that. But if I stay and they kill me, what about my wife? What about my children, my grandchildren? We have seven beautiful grandchildren. What about that? Is that being irresponsible? Do I think I can change things? Do I have to give my life? And, 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 and so, so, so you have all these questions, but the only thing we had to go is, Lord Jesus, you tell us what to do. If you tell me to stay, I'll stay. If I'm going to get killed, I'm, I'll get killed. By this time, we were going and understanding more about the privilege, not only of living for Christ, but dying for him. So one day, the Lord answered me. He says, he says the only one who's leaving town is the devil, so you stay. So I'm staying. I'm staying up until this day. <laughs> so uh, so we, 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 we went to a high place, and we took the Father's heart, and adopted the city. Just like that. I went with a good friend of mine, uh, uh, a brother from the Thailand, because as, as I said, we were 40 of us, we were praying, and I was commissioned to go and talk to the city and talk to, tell to the city, Ciudad Juarez, rise up. You're no longer an orphan. You have your father in heaven that has a perfect plan for you. Rise up, repent, but embrace the kingdom, hope, and trust him. And I made that declaration to the city. It's funny, but I'm going to show you the graphs, but, but the, the violence was like that. I made that declaration by God's grace, and then the violence started dropping drastically. 18 months, it was down 92%. 18 months, it was dropped 92%. So what we said, we canceled over our, of, uh, all of our meetings. All of the, our festivities and our Bible studies and all that, we canceled them. Not because we have something against that. But how can you get together and study the book of Revelation when you have a revelation, an apocalypse that time of the four walls? How can you celebrate the 14th of February when people have died 
every single day. One, two, three, 10, sometimes even 21 per day, 17, 14, every single day for more than a year. And these deaths were not occurring in an alley, in a dark alley, they were occurring any place, in a movie theater, in a library, in a school, in a park. They even killed somebody in a church. This guy was working for the cartel. He came to the Lord. He repented. He decided to put his life in order. He decided to marry he, the girl he was, he was dating. And then as he was coming in the, in the church building, and he was going to, give, to get married, these, these people came in, and they just killed him right there in front of everybody, just like that. So we say, how can we do church when we have a city that is dying without hope? And the saddest part, or the amazing part, is that Jesus died on the cross for the whole city, for the whole world. So, so we adapted, we went to the, to the mayor, we adapted the mayor. We said, this is a new mayor, this is not the old one. But this mayor, we talked to him, and, and, and he said, we know that this is desperate, and we know that you don't know what to do, but let me tell you something. If God is with you, if you dedicate the city to the Lord, he's going to do what he needs to do, and we're going to get out of here. And he said, he's not a believer. But he says, I'm willing to do that. So he gave, he dedicated the, the city to the Lord without being a Christian. And God honored that because God doesn't discriminate as we do. I had arguments with some theological, <laughs> very theological pastors say, you cannot do that. An unbeliever cannot dedicate the city to the Lord. I said, why not? Because he's not an unbeliever. And who told you that God is going to use only unbelievers? In fact, who put him as an authority? God. So he's returning the city to him, the one who gave him the authority, right? That's what the Bible says. So we adopted the, 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 the chief of police. This guy, the chief of police, he used to be the chief of police of Tijuana, and he did an excellent job. And while he was there, the pastors of the city came to here and prayed for him, and the Lord saved his, time, his life five times, five times. So he became a sympathizer of prayer. <laughs> And he said, if the pastor prays for me, I'm invincible. I can do my job, and I'm going to do it. So when he comes to Juarez, he's hired by the mayor, and he's hired to come to Juarez. The city representative that was uh, coordinating part of the work there, he calls me and says, you know what? This guy is for real. He's not a Christian, but he's for real. He's willing to do his job, but he only needs to have the assurance that the pastor of the city is going to pray for him. And I said, that's weird. He, and he's not a believer. No, he's not. He's a lieutenant colonel from the army. So when he came to Juarez, we came, I took about 14, 15 pastors and went to him and talked to him and I said, we're committing right now to pray for you. We're going to adopt you. We're going to pray for you. And he said, that's all I need. I'm willing to give up my life. I'm willing to do what I have to do. And this is going to change because I know how to do this job and I'm good at it and we're going we're gonna to do that. But you have to pray for me. If you pray for me, we're going to do it. And um, the, the city representative of Tijuana was on my side and I, I was going like that. Are you sure he's not a Christian? He said, no, he's not a Christian. I said, well, I want 10 of those in my church. <laughs> so uh, we prayed. Three, four days later, he was driving his Nissan, small car. Two suburbans came, came close close on him. Four people got out of each side, and they just started with AK-47. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of bullets. He didn't have a, a, a bulletproof. He didn't have machine guns. He, he just had his pistol. 
So he and his other uh, police officer got his pistol and started, and I, I, I joke with him later because I said, you start like, pew, 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 and the other, <laughs> so, so he said, he says, all of a sudden, when I thought, I'm dead, I'm dead, they're gonna kill me. I mean, bullets were flying all over the place. He said, I'm dead. When, when I th had that thought, all of a sudden they stopped, they looked to each other, got into the suburban, and left. And he said, I got out of the car, and I saw the car, and the car, you know, the holes all over the place, the windshield, holes in the windshield, the seat where he was sitting, he's fighting his arm, on the back, the bullets, and he came down and said, not a single, not a single hurt. <laughs> we serve. You know, that, that's, that's his story. We cannot provoke, we cannot create, we cannot sometimes even imagine things like that. So we adopted schools, we went to the schools where people were more, uh, where they had more orphans. We adopted the Attorney General, a member of the congregation I was pastoring at that time. He dedicated the, the, the office of the Attorney General of the state. And he said, I'm not going to do anything that is corrupt. I'm going to do everything clean. I'm going to do everything for the honor and glory of my Lord Jesus Christ. Things started happening, miracles. I don't have the time to go to details, but a lot of things started happening. And then we went to the schools. We went to the community. We went to a, a, a lot of places. And, uh, and all of a sudden, as I said, the, 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 the graphs were very clear. They were coming down 48% in a few months. Go ahead. I don't know the end. Well, it's not showing the graphs. <laughs> but, you know, 48% and then 90%, and, and, and it, went, it went down, and in 18 months, it went down to 93% in 18 months. Now, in order to have a, 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 a comparison, because sometimes these figures don't say much, but let me show you that, that I just this. I had the privilege to be with Mr. Rudy Giuliani in New York, and we invited him to Juarez to give a, a, a conference. And uh, actually, we invited Gorbachev also, and we... Uh, I, so when, when I was with him, uh, well, right now, we, we've been for uh, two and a half years without any kidnapping. And we used to have four or five every single day. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Come reduction in 18 months. And uh, as I said, I had the privilege to talk to Mr. Rudy Janet. I asked him, how long did it take you to change New York, to transform New York? And he said, eight years. I was at the house and at the living room at Luca Orlando. He was the mayor of uh, Palermo, Sicily. And I asked the same question, and he said 10 years. Mr. Loluc Orlando right now is the spokesperson of the United Nations concerning cities that have been going through violence like that. And he just gave a medal to Juarez, to the Attorney General, saying 18 months, that's unheard of in all of the history. Nothing like that has happened ever in any city of the world. You know why? Because God took control. Because God decided to do something about it. Because God has Juarez in his, yes. In his uh, and uh, I, I think you missed one. But I don't, I don't know what like, the photos are there. But the last question was, and I'm going to close with this illustration, and then I would like to pray. The last question was, what about sicarios? Because we were reaching to authorities, to people, to business people, to all of them. Just bringing hope, just telling them what, who Jesus is. And we were praying and praying and praying and, and going to the most dangerous places and all that. But then the question was asked by my spiritual father, Ed, and he said, what about sicarios? And I said, what about sicarios? He said, yeah, when are you going to adopt sicarios? 
I said, you can adopt sicarios because sicarios don't have a face, don't have a name. You just know what they do because people are killed all over the place. But these people are very sigilous. They, you don't know who they are, and they're very dangerous. They paid about $50 per people they killed, just like that. So I said, well, let's adopt sicarios because we have to go up to history in that hour. So, so one Sunday I came to church and I said, we're going to adopt sicarios. We don't know where they live. We don't know who they are. We don't know uh, how to get to them, but we're going to adopt them. So I teach about adopting, and I, and I teach about blessing sicarios and blessing the sinners and blessing the prostitutes and blessing the drug traffickers. Of course, we don't bless them so they, the business go up, right? <laughs> but we bless them with spiritual blessings, with repentance. We bless them with the need of the gospel to be an aware. They have an awareness that they need a, a savior. As somebody prayed for us and blessed us. So we said, we, we're going to do this. And uh, we prayed, and we adopted the And we believe. That's it. We pray, we believe. And uh, we learned to do that. <laughs> and, and we believe. So we say, okay, it's his story. He's going to do it. So we, we learned our a great lesson where we need to understand the what, but we don't care much about the how, because that's part of the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we, we want to get into the how, we start asking all these questions, the numbers don't match, the power doesn't match, and we have all these doubts, and then we don't do the what. We learn to do the what because Jesus asked us to do the what. Disciple nations, let's go in disciple nations. How? I don't have any clue. <laughs> it's the job of the Holy Spirit. Reach out to sicarios and adopt sicarios. That's the what. How are you going to do it? I don't have any clue, but let's do it. Because then we can paralyze by the analysis of the how. So we, I came to the congregation and said, we're going to adopt sicarios. And, and uh, everybody said, okay, let's do it. By this time, we have been trained to adopt all these people and, 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 and institutions and all that in the city. So we prayed. Wednesday, Arturo a guy who was in prison in the United States, actually in New Mexico. He was, uh, he was a prison in Latuna, in, in, here in New Mexico, because he was a drug dealer. And what, when, when he came as, as a prisoner, because he was trafficking drugs into the United States, somebody preached the gospel to him, praise God, and he became a believer. And his story started going, happening within God's story, not only his. And uh, he came to the Lord, he became a Christian, and then the Lord asked him to reach out the meanest guy in prison. So he started doing that, and... Uh, he had to suffer in order to get to the main guy. And once he got there, he preached the gospel. He came to the Lord, and he discipled him for five years. Five years there, both of them come to the outdoor prison at the same time. Arturo comes to Juarez, and he comes member of our congregation. And then he starts growing, and then he starts going and doing all this. The other guy went back to the cartel. And you know what the Bible says? You clean the house, but you do what you need to do. Seven worst spirits come. So this guy became the, the leader of 80 sicarios. He was living in a, in a small town close to Juarez, and, and uh, he had 80 sicarios. He planned to kill people every single day with 80 assassins, 80 sicarios, professional killers, in the United States and in Mexico. He will send them, they will come back, they will pay them, they will send them, and, and, and that, was, that was his job. He had control of the whole, uh, of the whole town. So the Lord speaks to Arthur and says, remember the guy that you preach the gospel to? Well, I want you to go and reach out to him. And the Lord reveals to him the city where he is at and the city that he has under his control. He bought the police, he bought the mayor, he, he had control of everything. So Arturo says, I'll go. And then Arturo goes to this place several hours outside of Juarez. And then he goes there. He knows that when he gets there, uh, because when these guys have control of these small towns, they have control. They are at the gates and they have people. And if you look enough suspicious, they follow you. 
they see you more suspicious, they just kill you. When we used to go to these towns, we would ask our ladies, our wives, to, to drive. <laughs> because it's a different, there's a lot of difference when a woman is driving than a man is driving. We would go, we would not use dark glasses, we would not use caps or anything like that, or cut hair, shave, you know, nice looking guys. <laughs> because we know that that would, that would happen. And we would send the teams to these small towns. I trained them and I said, you go in, and, and I, 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 I taught them to, to discern what they call the hogs. They have, they have guys that they pay to be the hogs, and they, they're, they're in the entrance of these small towns. And they're just there, you know, you see these guys like doing nothing, but they're, they're watching the, the gates of, this, of the town. And if they see something strange, they would just make a phone call, and then somebody would follow you. If they find out that you're a tourist or you're there to buy some groceries, whatever, they just leave you. If not, they will follow you. If they believe that you're coming to do something that they wouldn't like, they would just come down and you just kill them. Just like that. They kill so many people like that. So we train our people and we say, when you go, look for the hogs. And when you go to the hogs, you have to be, look them in the mirror. If you, if you see that the hog comes on the street and does this, you turn around and go back to Juarez. Period. Don't even think for a minute. Just leave. So Arturo knew that that was the deal. So he comes and he says, Lord, how am I going to know where he lives? Because these guys, the, the sicarios, they live in what, what they call security homes. A security homes is a place where they go to a, to, a, to a town, a city, and they look for the nicest neighborhoods. And they hire an, a nice couple with two, two, three children. And they pay them money to go and rent a house, and they pay them money to get out and, and loan them on. And, and, and loan, yeah, what is the loan? The, the loan. Say hi to the neighbors. But behind that, it's a security home. A security home is where they put sand all over the windows. They have guns. They have, they have uniforms of the police, of the federal police, whatever. They go and kidnap people around the neighborhood. They put them at night. And then once they have them there, they, they ask for the ransom. They cut the finger, cut the ear, send it to the family. If the, female, the family don't pay, they kill them and bury them in that house. When they have enough bodies there, they just leave the house and go and rent another one, do the same thing in another neighborhood. So nobody knows where are these people. That's the way they work. So Arturo is driving this, this, this getting into this town. He's praying. He's a man of prayer. And he's praying, and he says, Lord, okay, how do I want to get to, the, to this place? He said, you're going to ask the first man that comes by? You're going to ask him. He said, Lord, they're going to kill me. You don't ask for the drug lord of the town. I mean, you're dead like that because... These people know. So, so he said, so he said, okay, Lord, I'll obey. So, so he's driving, he turns around, and then this, this, this guy is coming, and he you know, lowers the window, and then he said, hey, can I ask you a question? He said, yes. And then he said, I'm looking for so-and-so. As soon as he mentioned the name, this guy takes two steps back. He said, what are you wanting for? And then he says, Arturo says, well, I'm a Christian. I preach the gospel to him, and Jesus is sending me here to tell him that Jesus loves him, that he is his son, that he hasn't forgotten him. And then the guy walks back and he says, I'll take you where he is. You know where he lives? Yeah, I know where he lives. And Arturo is feeling, how does this guy know? And he says, I'm his brother. Now, you don't go to a security guest unless you have a secure known person. So he goes and he says, okay, I'm going to take you there, but let me tell you one thing. If what you're saying is not true, they're going to kill you right there. And Arturo says, yeah, I know. So he's driving, he's following, and Arturo is praying, let him forget, let, 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 let him remember me, let him remember me, let him remember me, <laughs> he may never forget. So they got there, and then the brother of this man 
knocks on the door, the first guard comes, the second guard, the third guard, and these guys are organized. And then they know who he is and say, oh, it's, it's his brother, his brother. And then finally the brother comes out and says, this guy says that he has a message for you. And Arturo is right there explaining, let him remember, let him remember, let him remember. So he says, do you remember me? And he goes like, uh, he said, yeah, we, we met him. I preached the gospel to you and, and this and that. Oh, yeah, I remember. And I said, what are you doing here? I just came for one thing. I came to tell you that Jesus loves you, that he still considers, him, considers you to be his son. He wants you to go with him because he wants to embrace him. Say, wait, 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 you, went, you came all the way from Juarez to tell me this? Yes, Jesus loves you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to change your life. Come with him. We're praying for you. Wait, 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 you risk your life to come here? Yes, Jesus loves you. So we train our people not to reason, not to, to, to bend their, it, it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. So we train them to just pray and ask them permission to pray. So this guy, Oscar, says, you know what? Uh, I just came to let you know that and for you to give me the privilege to pray for you. And then this guy says, uh, I cannot do it because I have eight of my guys here. He had eight cicadas, they were training eight more assassinations. But, but this guy says, well, you know what? Let's go to the corner and let's go and pray there. So Arturo and these guys are walking on the corner. As they stop in the corner, Arturo is going to lay his hand over this sicario. Two suburbans are flying. Arturo told me, and this, and this man told me, uh, he's a, and he told me, we saw the, the suburbans. The, the suburbans came from the other cartel. They stopped. And then about eight, nine, ten guys came down. They come inside and they killed everyone. Just like that in that same second. When this guy is here and he saw us and he hears the, 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 the shotguns and all that, he comes down to his knees and he repents. And he says, Lord, you give me another opportunity. Next day, this guy goes to his boss and what he does, he takes his AK-47 and he hands it to him. And he says, boss, I'm done. And that's, that's the ritual in that cartel. When, when you want to get out, you get out dead. And if you're a man of your word, you take the gun to your bus, we can kill you right there, and you're out. That's it. These people have more word, more character. There are lots of people that I know that, 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 that say that they are willing to die for Christ. That's the code. And they do it. So when he put the gun on his desk, the, the, his boss says, no, no, don't, don't make me do this. You're a good friend. You're a good soldier. You do, you do an excellent job. Don't make me do this. And, say, and as they would say, they would say, Halele. Halele means pull the trigger. Halele. That's it. I'm not done. I'm done. I, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I know the rules. I know the code. I'm a man of my word. Halele. So the, the, his boss is, is kind of thinking, I don't want to do this, but I have to because if, if, they, if I don't do it to him, they're going to do it to me. That's the law. So he says, What happened? I mean, yesterday we were talking about this and that. We have plans, and we were doing this, and we were doing that. He said, and then he shared what happened. He said, well, when I was in prison, I gave my life to the Lord, but I was a rebel. I came out, and I did this, and this happened yesterday. You know what happened at, at the house, and this and that. So I'm done. Later, when I spoke to him, I said, why are you more will, uh, that willing to die and not to go back and work for Jesus? He said, because I know myself, and I prefer to be dead that go back and have the opportunity to offend my Jesus again. Wow. That consciousness of sin that we don't have. 
amazing. And these are the people that we say that they're the scum of the earth. But sometimes they have this deepness, this, this sincerity that we don't have, that we need. We need to learn, learn from them. So anyway, his boss, when he listened to everything he said, to everything he said, he said, you know what? I'm going to let you go. I'm going to take the risk myself. I'll talk to my boss. But I'm going to tell you one thing. You go and preach that gospel. But if I find out that you're not doing that, I'm going to go myself. I'm going to kill you. That's a deal. <laughs> so now we preach, you better go and preach the gospel or we'll kill you. <laughs> no, <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> but you know what? We, we, don't, we don't need to tell anybody, I'll kill you, because we're supposed to be dead, which we're not. We're too much alive for ourselves. And we should be dead to ourselves so we can live in his story. So anyway, Arturo is telling me all this. And I'm going like, Jesus answers prayers. He knows how to do the how. We just need to, to believe and trust in him. So, so when, when he's telling me all this, I'm, I'm going like, what? And he said, but we have a problem. I said, no, we don't have a problem. This is great. We don't have a problem. No, we have a problem. So when he tells me we have a problem, I said, what's the problem? He says, he wants to come to church. And then I go, oh, we have a problem. <laughs> because I knew what, how things develop. And I said, if he comes to church, and they come to kill me, and he's a big fish to catch, okay? If he lays his hand, his, his guns, no, nobody's going to protect. They're going to know they're going to come, and they can kill anybody in the church. They can kill me. They can kill anybody, and, and this will be a mess, and I don't want to be in newspapers saying this stupid pastor allowed this guy to come, and they killed somebody and stuff like that. I was working for my story, right? And, and, uh, and I said, you know what? Uh, tell him that to wait. Uh, let me see. Maybe we can meet in a dungeon or something like that. <laughs> So I can, I can disciple him right there. Nobody would know and this and that. So I said, no, let's wait. And then I went and I went to the Lord. Remember, pray, pray, pray. That's the only way we can listen to God if we pray. So I went to the Lord and I prayed. I don't know if that's okay. I'm going to take a few minutes. Is that okay? Just to finish the story and then I would like to pray. Uh, so I prayed and then I said to the Lord, what should I do? If, if, if I allow him to come and they try to kill me, which I think they would. Uh, they can kill somebody in the parking lot, in the sidewalk, or, or right here inside. Would it be all right for some people to die innocently without even knowing? But if we're rejecting or we do this, uh, is that okay? So I, I pour out my, my, my heart to the Lord. I gave him a lot of, uh, what do you call it, um, advice to the Lord, you know how we do. He said, you know, but if we do this, we, we, we just... Uh, I mean, we're so sinful, <laughs> even in our prayers. <laughs> so I come with all this. <laughs> and then he says, stop, stop. You always, always have to stop. And always has to ask me questions. God speaks to me with a lot of questions. So he said, wait, wait, wait. Let me ask you one thing. When you came to me, did I close the doors of my church so you would come? So you would not come? He said, no, Lord. You didn't? But I wasn't an assassin. I wasn't killing people. I wasn't doing that. And I, you know, my, my reasoning, oh, <laughs> every time getting into the way, right? And then the Lord says, who said that you were not a murderer? Why do you think he was, he's worse than you? Remember what the Bible says, that if you say something bad or against somebody else, you're guilty of murder? Of murder? Haven't you read that if you break one of my commandments, you're guilty of all of them? What are we talking about here? Do you think you're better than he is? Do you think I opened the doors of my church to receive you because you're better than him? 
and the Lord's bringing that, and, 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 and you're like, a, man, again, repent. Got on my knees and says, Lord, sorry, sorry, forgive me. Uh, we, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what, what do you want me to do. I said, you're going to receive him. Haven't I taught you? And haven't you preached that for all of you to live is Christ? But to die is what? Gain? I have preached that verse so many times. You know, at that moment, I understood I preached it from my lips on. My heart wasn't there. I wasn't even thinking of dying. Not at all. So he said, you're going to open the doors. He's going to come. And if you die, if your wife dies, if one of your grandchildren dies, if somebody, five-year-old dies, it will be my gain. It will be their gain. Because I have called you to die. As I have died for the world. A new concept. A new concept. And that's when I come with this question, which is not a good theological question. I ask the question, who does God love more, the church or the world? You know the answer, John 3, 16. For God so much loved the church? No. For God so much loved the world. If God loved so much the world that he gave Jesus, because he loved so much the world, he built his church. So his church will continue his love for the world. And the only way that the church can continue the love for the world is dying for the world, dying for the love. But we don't do that. We go and preach the gospel one day a week or whatever. And sometimes if the congregation organizes something, not, I'm not doing it. Or even if I'm doing it once a day, we feel that we're done, check. What's next? Go to Sunday service, go to Sunday service. Next, what we'll check? Oh, go to prayer meeting, go to prayer meeting. And we have come so far away to live his story and get into the adventurous life of living what he wants us to be. That's why he built his church, to be an instrument, just an instrument to do his will. And what's his will? Die for the world, so the world will be saved. So we learn, we're learning that. And uh, so, so I, I said, okay, Lord, uh, we'll do that. We just obey, and whoever dies, we have to believe the word of God for what it is, it's gain. The death of the saints are a good smell in, in the Lord's noses, nose. So I, next Sunday I'm at the, with the congregation and I'm sharing what's happening. I didn't give any details because it was very dangerous, but I said, remember we had that secret. We got the first one. It's a big one. It's a big catch, you know, a big fish. And he wants to come to church and he's going to come. But he can be assassinated right here outside. And then I the whole thing, and then I said what, I shared what God told me. We all got on our knees, decided to give up our lives if, it, if that was needed to receive one guy that we didn't even be sure that he was honest. He looked like, but we didn't know, no, but that's not our job. Our job was to embrace sinners, brothers and sisters, and I speak to them. Because when, when the Lord was speaking to me, he said, the Lord, the Lord told me this, I'm building my church, but in my church, Everybody's willing to die for everyone. In my church, nobody is going to speak bad against anybody. In my church, there's, going to be, there's not going to be envy. In my church, the one that I'm building is Jesus. It's a church that's going to reflect my heart. 
that is going to love as I love, that is going to forgive as I forgive. That's why we are his ambassadors. That's why he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we did that, and I said, uh, next Sunday, he's going to be here probably. You don't, you're not going to know who, where he's going to be sitting because you're not going to know. He can be sitting right in front of you in the back or whatever. Some guy can come and kill him, and then bullets are going to fly or could fly. And so we make a decision, and we, we just step on faith. Next Sunday, Saturday, I didn't sleep, of course. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And, and to be honest, I said, at least 70% of the people are going to be gone. Honestly, that's what I thought. And, and, I, and, I'm, I, I, and, and not because I was being harsh or difficult, but if I would have been one of the sheep of that congregation, and the pastor is saying, somebody's here and, and, and your five-year-old can be killed, I'm not going to Sunday service. I'm going to another church, what do you call it? I would have done that. So I said, 70% of people are going to come. Maybe the elders, maybe the leaders, and some people. That... So I get there early enough uh, that other days. I open the doors, and, and we meet, and we pray with the elders, with the pastors, and all that. And we open the doors, and we say, okay, Lord, we're in your hands. Our life depends just on you, whatever you want to do. And uh, I remember very clearly the first one that came in. was an old lady with a cane. She always came every Sunday, and she just came with a cane. And then she sat down right there in that seat, and she sat down. And then the second, it was a family, a young family, about 30-something with two kids, maybe nine, six years old. They came in, and they sat down. And the first thought that comes to my mind is, I don't deserve to pastor these people. I don't deserve that. These people are giants in the faith. And then people started coming. That Sunday, and all the Sundays I know of, nobody left the church. Nobody left the congregation. That man came, became a believer. He invited his friends. Dozens of sicarios started coming. The word spread around. If you're a sicario, you want to give your life to the Lord. That's the congregation to go to because they're not, they're not going to take you to the police. They're not going to treason you. They're, they're going to love you. They're going to embrace you. Let me close with this. And I'm, I would like to read Hebrews 2. I, I don't know if we can put the verse up there, Hebrews 2. Because this is something we learn. Not, as I said, not because we're more spiritual, because we, we're more mature, because uh, we, had to, we had no option by God's grace. So Hebrews 2 you have it? If not, I can read it. No? <laughs> well, maybe something is not... As usual, <laughs> that's why we have technology to fail at the right moment, right? <laughs> Let me, I had it ready, but it's not ready here. It's Hebrews 2, 14. Well, I'm going to read it. Uh, this is what the Bible says. Hebrews... He says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. And he's talking about us. Jesus had to become flesh and blood as we have. Oh, he's there. But why did he do that? Why did Jesus become flesh and blood? Not only because we are flesh and blood, but the Bible says so that by his death, he might break 
the power of him who holds the power of death. The cicadas don't hold the power of death. The one that has the power of death is the devil. But the devil was destroyed, was conquered at the cross of Jesus Christ. And then the next verse, verse 15, you want to put it? It says, And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. You know, we can become born again, and yet we're free from the guilt, we're free from condemnation. We're going to heaven by God's grace. But the question is, are we free from the fear of death? If we're not free from the fear of death, we're still slaves. Slaves to our own story. Slaves to our own way of thinking what we should do and we shouldn't. What it costs us and what it doesn't cost us. Free those who all their lives were held in slavery. When we had that experience, I had to recognize that I was held slave slavery, I was afraid of dying. I'm not anymore. And I'm not a courageous person. I just learned to believe him. So if I can do that, anyone can do that. Because it's about him. It's not about us. So you know what? God gave us that gift in Juarez. We learned to be out in the streets, risk our lives, risk everything, chase our schedules, change everything just to bring the kingdom of God into our midst through prayer into loving the world, the world that Jesus died for. And we consider all that just a gift by grace. And God says something, all that I have given you by grace, give it away by grace. So I would like to close, and I'm sorry I took so much time, I would like to close by just asking one question. Who of you think that are slaves because you, are the, you have the fear of dying? And not only the fear of dying physically, that somebody is going to come and kill you. That's most probably not going to happen here. But fear of dying to yourself, to your story. You, want, you don't want to leave what you're doing. You want to build your story, not his. Sometimes we have, we're slaves of that because we don't want to die. And the only way to live and live abundantly and live in this amazing story that is his story is if we die. That's what we become alive when we're willing to give up everything according to what God asks us. And God is going to ask us something different. He already asked us to do that in Juarez, but what is God asking you to do here for your state? Because Jesus died for your state, for your city. So if God has been speaking to you, I would just like to make a simple prayer, and I would just like to pray and give away what God has given us over there. So if you feel that God is speaking to you, you want to raise up, stand up, I'm sorry, stand up, and I will pray, and... Uh, and we'll just trust God because this is the day. This is the day. The reason I'm here is because somebody prayed, and I have a pretty good idea who they pray. And I'm, here, I'm not here to convince anybody. I'm here just to share what God taught us, what we had to learn the hard way. You don't need to go that hard way. So I would just like to impart that grace so you will be free. And then from now on, under the leadership of your pastor, 
and there's this annoying thing because he's the one who got appointed here, and he's going to give, give an account to follow this man and his wife and be adventurous and get up to his story, forget about ours, forget about the story of this building or this congregation or whatever. Let's get into his story, and that's a marvelous place to be. That's where miracles happen. Not in our story, in his story. Let's get up there, and we don't do it by faith. We do it praying, listening to what God is saying. So, Lord Jesus, I'm here, Lord, honoring and recognizing you as our Lord and as our King. Not thinking, Lord, that I'm better, quite the contrary, Lord. But you are the one who chose us. You choose us to believe, not only for salvation on the day of judgment, but also to believe you as we live every single day of our lives. So, Lord, what you have given us in Juarez, that boldness to believe, to die if it's necessary. I'm here, Lord, with a humble heart, and I give away what you have given us freely because you freely give it to us. So in Jesus' name, receive from God the gift of being free and leave the, the fear of dying outside of your lives and live fully, fully dead, but at the same time fully alive for our King and Lord Jesus, the one who left everything and became flesh and blood as us to destroy the works of the devil so we can go, can go out and be his church, be his light, be his salt, be his ambassadors, and bring the kingdom of God, not only to our neighbor, but to our city, to our state, to our nation. Lord, you have called us for a such a time like this. I bless my brothers and sisters. Lord, I give this gift that you have given me by faith, by grace, because it comes from you, it is from you, it is for you. So this congregation, Lord, with others, will take the step to continue praying as they do. Listen to you, Lord, and just follow and believe what you have called them to do. I bless Ron and his wife. I bless each one of the leaders, the pastors. I will be the last member of this congregation that you would do mighty and extraordinary things to ordinary people like us and Lord, if you did it in Juarez, for sure you can do it any place in the world. We pray, and we declare, and we say all this in the precious, holy, amazing, extraordinary name, above all names. Thank you very much.